They may not be interested now, but the reason to leave your story behind is because one day they will just want to know. And if you're not around or haven't left your story, it'll just be a real sadness. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hello, everyone. This is the show where we talk about growing our life story business. We serve clients by helping them preserve their life stories in a book, an audio, or a video project so that they can share their memories and the stories that are meaningful to them with their family and friends and with future generations. And today we're talking to Latisse Stewart. Latisse is an award-winning journalist and a published author. In 1996, after a 22-year journalism career with the Times-Picayune and the New York Times, Latisse founded her personal history company, Portraits in Words. And today she continues to create beautiful life story projects for her clients, and she speaks around the country about the importance of preserving family stories. Welcome to the show, Latisse. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much. Latisse, you and I have talked about this before, but I'd like to let the listeners know how you and I originally met. And that was when I was first starting out as a life story writer. And actually, I hadn't even, I don't think I had even set up my company, um, but I was thinking about it. I was dipping my toes in the water. I didn't have any jobs yet. And I saw in my alumni my college alumni magazine, which you happen to be an alumni of the same college. And I saw a little blurb about you. It was the section where it tells what people are doing, kind of catching people up with their former classmates. And it said that you were the past president, I believe at the time, of the Association of Personal Historians. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I want to do. And so I, out of the blue, called you and you were gracious enough to have a very long phone conversation with me and give me all kinds of good advice, including that I should join the Association of Personal Historians, which by the way, Listeners, you've heard me talk about this before. It no longer exists. One of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast to try to disseminate the information and, you know, lots of advice and tips from other working personal historians. But at the time it did exist. And you told me that I needed to join. And I said to you, Latisse, I think, but I can't. I'm not making any money off of this. And it, I can't remember how much it was. It was a couple hundred bucks at the time, I think. And you said, nope, you need to join. And I did. And a week later, so that got me on the directory. A week later, here in Kansas City, they happened to run a feature article. It had nothing to do with me, but it was on personal history. And they referenced the APH. And I got my first job because of that, because I was somebody went to the APH website, saw me on the directory and hired me. And that was entirely due to you. I would have never taken that step without um, being kind of goaded into it by you. I just love that. And here we are so many years later and you've got a thriving business. That's so wonderful. It is. It is so wonderful. And it's, you know, I, I one of the reasons why I really like doing what I do, um, aside from the actual daily tasks of interviewing people and writing, but it's there is such a, um, a warm and helpful environment. And um, 
you know, any, any other colleague that I've reached out to, I've had the exact same reception, you know, people are willing to talk about it. And it's just, it's a heart centered job. So people who come into this are generally going to be friendly and encouraging and helpful to everybody else. Well, I think, I think that's really true that it is just a warm and friendly profession. Um, we're, we're all people, people. So we start right. from there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're not a people person, then you're probably not in the right profession. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I want to talk about years ago, um, you were featured in the Wall Street Journal, and then you were featured in Good Housekeeping and a few other publications. And in a previous conversation that you and I had, uh, you told me something about that that surprised you. So did you get any jobs out of those really high profile uh, feature articles? I did not, not a single, a single client. I was so surprised. But what I did get, particularly after the good housekeeping article, was literally hundreds of calls from people wanting to know how they could get into this business. And, um, you know, I tried, like I did with you, to really spend time with people and give them information and encourage them. But it did get overwhelming. But it was surprising that there were no, no calls for business. Well, and I, and I love that, um, that you put that out there, because I think for most of us, if we don't know any better, we're going to assume that getting an article about us, getting our name in the Wall Street Journal, our good housekeeping, that we've, you know, our career is set, we've got it made, right? We're going to have years worth of work coming to us. And it's something that you're not going to know unless you experience it. And and you experienced it and you had the exact opposite result of what we would expect. So in other words, I guess my point is that we have to be really savvy about the, um, the avenues that we pursue to promote our business. Um, and for, you know, obviously, even though you didn't get any jobs out of those, you you did get work and a lot of really good work because it has sustained you for now a couple of de- well, even more than a couple of decades, right? right? So how did how did those first clients come to you? Well, it was just word of mouth, and I did have the uh, advantage of being able to say I had been with the New York Times, so that gave me an instant credibility. And what those articles did for me was uh, the same kind of thing, gave me credibility. I could say, well, I'd been featured in the Wall Street Journal and Good Housekeeping and later Time Magazine. And so even though I didn't get clients from them, it it, it enhanced um, my credibility, and that was important. But um, it really was, I just would tell everybody anywhere what I was doing and people my well people would be interested and I'd get to explain more and even my goal was not that they would hire me but they would remember me when either later down the line they wanted to do a personal history for someone in their family or when they were talking to someone else and someone was telling them the story about their fascinating grandmother and they would say, oh, you ought to call this woman. And in fact, that's what happened. I got lots of clients just by word of mouth like that. And were you going out of your way to put yourself in situations where you would be having these conversations? Or was this just in regular everyday life? Uh, Both, both. It wasn't everyday life. I 
would just tell people what I was doing. But I did join um, networking groups, and I got a lot of clients in the beginning. I joined a professional women's organization, and they had weekly meetings uh, that everybody in the organization would stand up, and they had, I think, I don't even remember, 40 seconds to say what you do, and then you'd sit down. And over time, just each week, people would remember that I was the personal history lady. And that was in the very beginning. And I probably got 10 clients from them. And um, yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing. And were those the uh, were they the parents of the women who were in the organization? Or were the women going out and telling other people about you? How did where who were the clients exactly? Both a number of people in the organization hired me to work with their parents or even grandparents and um, or they would refer me it was a great referral opportunity in that organization um, and you know I just found that being engaging whenever I was out socially and people you know people typically ask well what do you do and I would tell them and it's just it everybody's interested in it. it's not that they want to hire you on the spot but Everybody's interested in that conversation of what a personal history is. And um, it just, over time, began to build up. And actually, my husband was my best marketer. He would, uh, is a lawyer and travels a lot. And when he would be in a business class traveling somewhere, he would tell people what his wife does. And, and he got oh, me, <laughs> I know, I know, he got me a number of clients. Uh, so, um it's really just spreading the word. The one thing that's not going to happen is you're sitting at home just waiting for the calls to come. So I think you need to join organizations that somehow, mm, well, would attract people uh, that are interested in history or the right age group. Um, it's, it's just important to get out there and meet people and not expect people to hire you immediately when you tell them what you do, but just let it build up over time. Right. I agree. I just recently went to a couple of Chamber of Commerce events. Now, I'm not a member. It's very pricey to join. um, And I'm still not convinced that it's the right venue for me. Although, um, although I'm, I'm, tending to think that maybe it is. However, these two events that I just went to, I went to one, I think last week and one the week before, and they were, you have to pay for them. Um, but they're, they're kind of mix and mingle sort of meet and greet kind of events. And, um, my problem is that, you know, I'm really good one-on-one with people and I'm I'm actually pretty darn good with a room full of people if I know that I have to give a presentation. I have no anxiety about doing something like that, but it's facing a group of people and I don't know them and I don't really know how to work my way into them. So what I end up doing, and I think probably a lot of us personal historians are like this, you know, I... I kind of find one person and get into a really deep conversation with them. And that's not doing me any good. So I like the idea that um, of what you were talking about, the networking groups where you actually stand up in front of everybody and you tell them what you do, um, at least least once, um, if not more often than that, because then people 
you're letting the whole room know what you do. And I'm guessing that in a networking group, you're not going to have any competition. So if you're a real estate agent, there might be like several others or yes. Yeah. Right. In this group, there was only one of any type of person, uh, profession in it. So that was helpful. But, you know, you remind me of something that I've always told people, particularly just getting started. When you said you make presentations, I think that's so important. And I know a lot of people have a hard time with public speaking, but um, I just encourage people to work past that and find organizations where you can come talk about the importance of preserving life stories. You can't go in talking about your business and trying to attract business directly. But if you call an organization and say, do you have speakers Uh, I'd like to make a presentation on preserving family stories. And then you can just talk about all the different ways it can be done. Even if you just do books, you can tell people they can do it in audio or video. But um, it's just getting the word out. And then, of course, if they're interested, they're going to call you. Right, right. Yeah, that's very good advice. Um, And I, I don't know if you still have to do that kind of outreach, Um, I know that I still work on that. And I have found that sometimes the emails just fall on deaf ears. And I suppose that's because email is a is a little bit more of an impersonal way of contacting somebody cold. So I I, I like how you suggested that it's a phone call, because, you know, as soon as somebody hears your voice on the on the line, it's probably going to generate a little bit more um, confidence. Right, right. Exactly. You know, and I used to tell people this is how long ago it was, because I'd say go to your local library in the reference section and get the uh, reference book of organizations in your area. And of course, I guess all that's online now. But, um, you know, just scan through the organizations. And if it's a group of women, I mean, even garden clubs, you know, they have speakers and it's a very warm and friendly topic and it's very relevant to to almost any group, you know, preserving family stories. And you just find out who the point person is and call them. Do they have weekly speakers, monthly speakers? And most of them are dying for speakers. Mm. And so if you can make a good pitch to, um, you know, talk, they're going to typically will will ask you to come in and give it and talk to them. Mm. And then when you do that, do you bring any literature with you? Do you bring just business cards? Um, Because I assume that you want to make sure that they know that you're doing this for a living and that you have some services to offer. Do you bring books to show them, sample books? I I did. And um, I also brought, because I I haven't done this in a while, but I brought different kinds of um, products some people, audio tapes, or books about preserving stories. You know, I just kind of had a stack of things, not just my books. Mm. So at the end, you know, I would say, now there are many ways to do this, because what I was talking about was preserving stories and why that's important and how we make connections with family and so forth. Um, and then, it, you know, I would say there's so many ways to do it. You can do just the audio. You can do books. You can do it on video. And I have some materials up front. Now, this is what I do. I, I do 
mainly books. And I have some samples up here. And of course, next to the books, I had my business cards and mm-hmm. some brochures. But nobody wants you to come in and do a hard uh, sell on your business. So you kind of have to sneak that in the back door. Right, right. And, you know, the beauty of our business is that you don't have to be uh, you don't have to recreate the wheel every time you're doing one of these talks because really at its most basic, like you said, preserving family stories um, and different ways that you can do it and why it's important. I mean, that is the core message. It doesn't have to be, you know, any sexier than that. That's that's what's going to get people's interest, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, people can do uh, research. There are a lot of articles on on how it benefits um, people with beginning with Alzheimer's, or how it benefits uh, telling their life story benefits has health benefits, or um, certainly it benefits generations later. And you know, just to have some some references like that, and they can develop a talk. And most people only want to talk for mm, 10, 15, 20 minutes would be long. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of ways, uh, you can talk about the importance of, of story and come up with some anecdotes, some interesting things that you can pull out of articles. But, um, I've always found, even when I was meeting people and telling them what I did, you know, I could get into some of the just fascinating anecdotes about how preserving stories was so meaningful to people who who did them. Um, I remember I would at one of our APH meetings, somebody got up and talked about that years ago they had done some uh, volunteer work in Appalachia doing life stories. Oh, right. Do you know what story I'm going to tell? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Well, and so I tell this not as my story. I say, you know, I've I've heard this story, but this woman went to Appalachia and volunteered and she said she went to some rundown ramshackle house or cabin and there was a woman she said I couldn't tell whether she was 30 or 70 you know and she was oh. in just a frayed house dress and missing teeth and uh, she was sitting in her rocking chair and could barely speak she was kind of mumbling and looking down and but she would the, the interviewer kind of kept pulling out stories. And she said after the second or third hour, the woman was sitting up straight. And at the end, she slapped her knee. She said, well, I was some kind of woman, wasn't I? <laughs> and, you know, it's just, isn't that beautiful? Because I, I tell people, I can, there's a point in an interview where I can see it in someone's eyes, hear it in their voice, where they get it that their life story was important and that it has an arc and and it has meaning and when they started maybe they were just uh doing it because their daughter wanted them to tell the stories but over the hours when they're talking about their life it is so validating and and um healing and it's just really it's not only a legacy for future generations. I think it is such an important thing for the the narrator to tell the story and know that they will have left it behind. I agree with you. And that is the element that I find the most riveting and appealing about doing this business. So when 
and I've said this multiple times on this podcast before, you know, when people hire me, they're all about the final product. So they're in, in my case, that's a book. So they're all excited and eager about having this book and getting the book in the hand. And as soon as the storyteller sits down and starts telling their story, the focus shifts entirely on the telling, on the reviewing of past events, on um, having somebody listen to them and having the opportunity to reflect back on their life. And I have never figured out a way to make that part of the, um, I don't want to say the sales pitch, but um, to to highlight that as a benefit of this, um, because really nobody understands it until they're sitting in that chair across from you, and they get into the flow of telling their story. You know that's so true, and I don't know how you get that across other than maybe telling a couple of vignettes. Um, you know, like the one I just recounted that people in the process of telling a story um, learn to or understand themselves and, mm-hmm. and find the importance of their own life. Um, but that is the biggest benefit. It is. I agree. And especially if you think about the age of the people, the generation of the people that we're serving, you know, so maybe they're in their eighties, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, but um, if, if they didn't grow up, um, you know, the, the kids who are growing up now are probably going to have the tools to be a lot more self-reflective. Um, and the people who grew up, you know, maybe past the 60s or something, they're, they were growing up with that in mind. You know, like you have to pay attention to your life. You have to reflect. But there wasn't a whole lot of time or energy put into that for the older generations, right? It was a little bit more about, you know, World War II is over. Let's let's buckle down and get on with life. Um, And so I think for a lot of people, this is the first time that they really have given themselves the opportunity to reflect back and find, you know, go mining for the meanings of, of their, of the things that have happened to them in life. Uh, Yeah, I think that's so true. They just haven't had the opportunity and kids maybe are interested and ask questions, but they get bored, you know, um, mm-hmm. and they're not really listening. And the <laughs> the the elder knows that they're not really listening. And um, but I think a lot of children just don't know how to get into it. And I think that's why it's such a good business because I think you're much more successful as a stranger coming in and interviewing and being able to ask questions than the kids who come at it with all the emotional baggage. I think I might've told you the story about when a family hired me to go to Arkansas um, to interview an elderly man. I think he was 92 and he was really hard of hearing and kind of going blind. And the night before the kids had me over uh, and I said, well, what, what are some of the things you want to know from your father? And they said, we want to know about his father. And, um, but he's not going to tell you. And, (laughs) and I said, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So the next day I get there and I'm sitting real close to this man because he couldn't hear me so well. And I said, well, sir, where, where shall we start? Um, Let's, let's start with, your father's family. And he looked me in in the eye and he said, "Um, my father was a terrible 
drunk and went on to talk about his father in detail. And at the end, he said, well, we don't want that in the book. And I said, well, actually, sir, that's your kids really want to know all this history. And he pulled even closer and he looked at me with those blue eyes. He said, they never asked. Oh. And I was so struck by that because that is the problem with kids. You just assume they knew it was a touchy subject and that dad didn't want to talk about his dad. And boy, I mean, it, we weren't five minutes into the interview when he just unloaded all this. He wanted to talk about it. I, I found it so interesting. Isn't that? And probably in their minds, in the, the grown-up children's minds, Probably they had asked or, or thought that they had asked, but maybe hadn't really done it um, in, a, in a really forthright manner. Right. Um, that's, that is, oh, gosh, that's interesting and heartbreaking and hopeful, all, all rolled up into I one, know, right? I know, I know, and I know. And I just think people have a, a primal need to tell this story, mm-hmm. and they just need somebody to probe and to and to listen and to care. Right. And I think that primal need grows more acute as we age. Um, and and I, th- I think that's where a lot of people don't quite understand. Um, you have to be a certain age to, to recognize that in maybe your, your uh, parents who are growing older. Um, because when we're all, when we're involved in the thick of life, we're not thinking in those terms. But I think as soon as the responsibilities sort of die down just a little bit, then it's clear to ourselves um, about our own life, you know, that, that we're starting to feel that need to kind of reflect back. And then definitely seeing the older folks and they really do need to talk. So here's something interesting that happened to me yesterday. I was um I, I had a meeting at a coffee shop near my house and I, um, I used my business credit card, which has my, um, my company name on it. So it says the story scribe on it. This is the first time this has ever happened. But the, the young guy who the barista, he took my credit card and he said, Oh, what do you do? Cause he saw the story scribe on the, on it. And I gave him just a very brief rundown um, of what I do. And he launched into a story and he didn't stop talking for about 20 minutes <laughs> about, and he's young. I mean, he's probably early twenties. And this is fascinating, Latisse. His grandfather, who he knew as an older guy who was already retired, he knew that he had been in the military, he had fought in Korea and Vietnam. But other than that, he didn't know anything about his um, his career in the military or beyond that. Uh, he just thought of him as his grandpa, right? The retired older guy. Well, when his grandfather died... He went to the funeral expecting it to be like any other relative's funeral of an older person. And he told me that there were, I think he said, two or 3,000 people there, including Colin Powell and Jeb Bush. Now, he and the other grandkids had no idea that the grandfather had apparently gone on... um, into the CIA. And he was a very big actor, a big player in the CIA. And this is, which that part is pretty interesting. But the really interesting thing is that this man had left behind in a safety 
deposit box that nobody knew about until after he died. He had left these written journals and unsent letters to his wife. And she had not known that we he was a, a CIA operative. And so she's reading, she ended up making a book out of this and she gave it to all of the grandkids. And it was about his life and about um, the things that he had done. And the, the, the part that was, that struck me the hardest was the letters that were written to her, to the wife, but he was not allowed to send. And he would pour his heart out saying, I wish that I could tell you where I am. I wish I could tell you because I know it's hard for you. And he wasn't allowed to send them. And nobody found this out until after he died. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Well, thank God they found him and he left him, but wouldn't it have been great if they could have sort of shared that with him. Yes, yes, exactly. And this is a, you know, like I said, this is a young, a young guy. And he is clearly very fascinated by his grandfather's story, which I don't think we, you know, we were just talking about that a moment ago. Not all of the kids or the grandkids are going to be interested at a given period in life. Um, But some of them are. And, you know, thank goodness that, that, we're out there helping them get those stories. Yes. And, you know, I, I just want to add that they may not be interested now, but the reason to leave your story behind is because one day they will just want to know. And if you're not around or haven't left your story, it'll just be a real sadness. You know, I wish I had known what grandmother did or came where she came from. So it's just so important to get the stories down. Hi, listeners. It's Amy again. Thank you so much for being here. Over the years, Latisse has helped me learn so much about the craft, but especially about the business side of personal history. And as soon as I decided to have this podcast about a year and a half ago, she was one of the first people that I thought to invite on as a guest. So it was a real treat to get to have her here. On the next episode, you'll hear the continuation of our interview where Latisse talks about how much she charges for her life storybooks, how she handles the conversation about money with prospective clients, including a surprising and a very effective way of preparing for that conversation. We also talk about bringing writers on board to help you with your projects, as well as some important aspects about interviewing, which I think Latisse and I would both agree that that's pretty much the most important element of what we do as personal historians. So all of that is coming in part two of the interview with Latisse Stewart. If you'd like to find her or her website, check out today's show notes at thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 62. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Until next time, go out and save someone's story. 